Well, hello and welcome to our podcast, Into the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown to discuss aliens, cryptids, and other mysteries for our, and hopefully your amusement. I am your ghost host, Gary, with my country girl and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hey. Hello, Goldie Ann. How are you doing today? I'm doing rather well. Good. Well, welcome to our third podcast. I think we're hitting our groove now on how to produce these at a uh, pretty fairly consistent rate. I would like to ask that please let your friends who might enjoy things a bit on the spooky side to know about our podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. If you subscribe to these podcasts, this makes sure that you get notified of the next episode, and it also lets us know that there are other Misties out there. That sounds cool. Good. Good idea. I have them every once in a while. Yeah. So, Goldie Ann, I picked this story out specifically for you. Ah. Well, nice. I have a question. Yes. All right. What would you do if one of your daughters had gotten mixed up in a whirlwind romance with a man you didn't trust? And then she was found dead of an apparent unknown illness, but you believed she was murdered. I would definitely track down the man that I thought was the killer. Well, I guess I would just grab her boyfriend by the neck and wring it and throw him in the river or something. Yeah, that kind of those were the reactions I kind of was expecting from you. And it does suit wait, this episode. Wait, wait. Uh -oh. are you saying I'm violent? Um, I'm saying that you have maternal instincts and nobody would ever mess with the daughter of a woman who basically has two hands that can wring their necks and throw them in the river. Okay, you've met my children's choices of boyfriends, right? Yes, I have. Okay. This way that you feel fits in with our story today um, because many ghost stories are usually limited to campfire, campfire stories and Halloween, but this one actually takes place in a courtroom. Awesome. However, this is not the usual ghost story as it brings the haunting testimony from a murdered woman to be used under oath to help bring her killer to justice. Wait, 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 wait. The testimony is from the dead daughter? Yes. Wow. Okay. This is going to be interesting. And it, yeah, this is an actual factual case that you can actually look up in the courthouse and the woman was testified, well, her testimony was used in a court of law, and she has since become known as the Greenbrier Ghost. Wow. Now, have you ever been to West Virginia? Don't think so. No, I have not. Oh, okay. Well, I'm originally from Ohio, so uh, I've been to West Virginia a couple of times, and the story that we're going to talk about takes place in Greenbrier County, which lies on the southeastern section of the state and it's nestled up against the Allegheny Mountains. So although it is mostly known for its coal, timber, and farming, it's described as a picturesque example of simple country living rather than a tale of ghosts and murder. I can see that. Yeah, a lot of people would say this is the quintessential Norman Rockwell painting of a country town. Absolutely. That's what I think of. And you'd be quite correct in this time frame period that this story happened was it was just before the dawn of the 20th century so we're talking late 1900s life was a lot more simple and people had a large demand for doctors who made house calls neighbors all knew each other and knew their local gossip and towns required a blacksmith for shoeing horses west virginia had only been a state for 10 years after splitting with virginia over arguments regarding the civil war 
West Virginia residents who had never ventured out of their county, even out of their own hometown, suddenly found themselves born and raised in one place, now lived in a totally different state overnight. Wow. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. A lot of things changed after the Civil War, and especially uh, people's beliefs or their attitudes towards the future. Absolutely. One of those people happened to be Elva Zona Hester who was born in Greenbrier County, West Virginia, sometime about 1873. And pretty much not much is known about her early life. She had grown up very poor, but she also was very pretty. And she was unfortunately pretty much aware of it. (laughs) Yeah, her family pretty much doted on her. Whereas most girls, as they grew up, learned how to cook, sew, clean. Pretty much the stereotypical country wife attitude. She did not. She wanted more out of life. In fact, the people in her hometown knew early on that she was a free spirit who wanted nothing more than to escape life on the dirt farm. And she was not about to become a simple farmer's wife. Oh, so you mean she's uh, Scarlett O'Hara? Yes. <laughs> Actually, that, that does fit in pretty it well does. now that, uh, that you mention it. Scarlett O'Hara and her fit in pretty well. That sounds like it. Now, Which is kind of funny, but it brings <clears throat> you to the first question because I named my daughter after Scarlett O'Hara. Ah, oh wow, this story is, this story is <laughs> going to do a lot of turning around for you. Her rebellious nature uh, led her to actually having a secret child out of wedlock to a George Woodridge in 1895 when she was only 21 years of age. Wow. Now, she had no desire to spend the rest of her life married to him. In fact, she didn't want to have anything to do with him uh, once she discovered she was pregnant. Wow. So you would think that most families would insist on a shotgun wedding. Zona actually insisted that she did not want to have anything to do with this George. Okay. Because of her attitude, she gave up the 10-year-old baby boy to a childless couple up in the mountains, never to be seen again. So she kept the baby until it was 10... Oh, 10 day old. 10 okay. days old. Okay. So, yeah, she carried the child secretly, because back then an unwed mother is really much a strong taboo. Right. Especially in, you know, the very religious West Virginia towns, but uh, she secretly had the baby. When it was 10 days old, her mother took it up into the mountains to a family that she had contact with, and they gave up the baby never to be seen again. Okay. The problem is, is that Zona didn't really learn her lesson. Well, she wanted more from an adventure in her life. This couldn't be found with her parents, so she asked them if she could go stay with relatives down from the mountain. While staying with her cousins, she met a man, and her infatuation with a man who had just moved to Greenbrier County was no surprise. He was very handsome, very rugged, very strapping man, pretty much what you would think of as a of a young blacksmith. His name was Erasmus Trout Shoe. Okay usually known as Edward, but he had such a charming demeanor with the people of Livesey Mill that everyone just called him Trout. Okay. So he was really overly friendly, always had a smile. He definitely attracted attention of Eva. So pretty much you're creating a romance novel right off the bat. Right. Trout found work as a blacksmith at the shop of a James Crookshanks, and he was tall, muscular, and decidedly handsome, but he was a decade older than Zona. He explained to the young girl that he had moved to the small town from Droop Mountain in Pocahontas County in search of a new life. She learned that he had had a troubled past as he had been married twice before. In fact, Zona actually got attracted to this tragic nature of Trout. That's what I was going to say, that probably attracted her to him. 
Mm, yeah. Bad boys, bad boys. Right, so you have a pretty boy who has a dark past, and you have a wild child girl. This is a recipe for disaster. Zona actually felt that they were kindred spirits and instantly fell in love out of the, some tragic romantic notion that she had. Right. Now, the fact that Zona's mother married Jane Hester, who had taken an instant dislike to the older man, only made it more of a fanciful love story for her. So now you're creating this Romeo and Juliet scenario right. where she is so in love with this trout, but her parents are so against the marriage. How would you have dealt with this kind of a scenario? Ah, uh, wow. Actually, that scenario, I don't know, because if, if you don't like someone that your child likes, it's just going to feel it more. They're just going to run away, you know, go run away and be with this person. So do you want to lose your child to the man she ran away with? Or do you want to embrace the child and this man that you don't like? Pretty much you and Mary Jane had pretty much the same opinion. Oh, nice. She tried to talk him out of it, but then her and her husband, Jacob, then decided that Zona was a grown woman. She's made mistakes. Hopefully she's learned from them. And so then she accepted uh, Trout into the family. And Zona and Trout were then married at the Methodist Church on October 20th in 1896. There you go. Well, listen to this. Doing the math, that was a mere five weeks after the two met. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) This didn't even give Zona's family an opportunity to know the man that was to become their son-in-law. Okay. The couple lived peacefully for a short time for about three months. <laughs> Although they were very adamant about not having relatives coming to visit until, as Trout put it, they had an opportunity to get their house in order. So Mary Jane wasn't even allowed over to visit Zona for the first three months that the couple were married. No, that would not fly with me. And it didn't fly with Mary Jane. In fact, she went to her cousin's house the ones that Zona had been originally staying with, had her son take the wagon over to Zona's house while Trout was working at the blacksmith shop and brought Zona over to the cousin's house so that she could meet her in secret. Okay. She wanted to find out what was going on. During this meeting, Zona kept saying, no, she was, everything was fine, everything was great, but she did notice that she was a little bit fearful. She was scared that she needed to be home before Trout got home and found out that she was gone, and she just didn't seem as cheerful than uh, newlywed Otto had been. Hmm, okay. So in your Red opinion, flags go flying. Right, what red flags did you see? Abuse. Exactly. Either physical or at the very least emotional abuse. Definitely Definitely mental abuse. Because in three months, she went from a wild child to pretty much a mouse. Wow. And that brought up a lot of red flags, but there pretty much wasn't anything Mary Jane, uh, her mother, could do at this time. Right. Now, after uh, Mary Jane went back home, the stories took a dark turn. Ooh. Well, unfortunately... Trout visited the home of Martha Jones, better known as Aunt Martha, on January 23rd, 1897, to ask if her son, Anderson, would visit their home to help perform some chores for him. The boy was uh, told to collect the eggs and perform any help Zona needed since she was feeling sick. It had been reported that she had taken ill for quite some time and the local doctor had been treating her for an unreported condition. A lot of people thought that this illness was that she was pregnant and possibly having a baby. Okay, that makes sense. True. Now, Andy was also tasked to provide any help with various others around town. He kind of did chores for everyone in the local area. So he did not immediately go to the shoe home. Trout came back to Aunt Martha's house up three different times to 
find out if Anderson had gone to the home and had helped Zona out. He was very adamant that Andy needed to give her any help that she needed. The boy eventually did arrive at the shoe residence about noon, knocking on the door. Okay. He knocked on the front door repeatedly, but Zona did not respond. He found that the door was unlocked, so he entered, calling out to Zona. There was no answer, so the boy realized that everything was too quiet and he carefully made his way into the house and he was met with a terrifying sight when he proceeded further. At the foot of the stairway leading to the second floor was Zona laying outstretched and unmoving. <laughs> Strangely, her legs were straight back from the stairway as if already placed in a coffin box. One arm was reaching towards the door and the other one was laying beneath her across her chest. Her head was tilted slightly. And so the husband kept telling this boy he had to go to the house, he had to go to the house. Three different times he told the boy that so. he needed him to go to the house and help Zona out because Zona wasn't feeling well. So he needed someone to find the body instead of him. Sorry. No. no. <laughs> I mean, because, yes, honestly, if I had been the boy or Aunt Martha, that's immediately what I would have thought of. Absolutely. But in the heat of the moment, little the young boy was extremely frightened. So scared that he didn't even check on Zona. He left her right where he found her, and he ran to tell his mother about the discovery he made at the shoe home. Okay. Now Martha, realizing the terror in her son's face, immediately sent her son to inform Trout at the blacksmith shop, and then she headed to the home herself. Upon discovering the body of the young woman, she summoned for the local doctor and coroner, a Dr. George W. Knapp. Knapp, being a country doctor, was away on other business, and it took him almost an hour to get to the home. Wow. During this hour, Trout had carried his wife's lifeless body upstairs to the bedroom and laid her out on the bed by the time the doctor arrived. Okay. So that she's, makes sense. I mean, back then there was no don't move the body. Correct. It's not like they were going to have a CSI moment right. and chalk outline the, the, where the body was and all of that. Right. So definitely that's normal. Okay. I think. Here's something. They, then it goes into the abnormal. Okay. He had picked out a burial dress and had already <laughs> changed her clothes before the doctor even arrived to pronounce her dead. That's creepy. Victorian custom of that time stated that the job of washing and preparing a body for burial would traditionally be the responsibility of the women of the community. So the fact that Trout so rapidly took on the responsibility himself was odd. Hmm. Nevertheless, Trout had dressed her in a very formal high-necked dress with a stiff collar. This was actually the same dress she had been married in just three months prior. A veil had been placed over her face. That kind of makes sense to me. Yes, but that was I mean, other than the fact that he was the one cleaning her. Correct. And he, but he did all of this, you know, rushed all of this within an hour of her finding her body. Well, I mean, that way he could <clears throat> clean off all the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Knapp, who would have who should have been the person to find evidence, attempted to examine Zona, but the grieving husband remained by the corpse the entire time, cradling her head and sobbing. Aha. Knapp, noting the husband's grief, was unable to perform a thorough medical examination. He did note some bruising on the neck during his brief check, but when he tried to look closer, Trout reacted so violently that Knapp was intimidated. Wow. Well, you see, Knapp is a country doctor... And, you know, kind of an older gentleman right. and not used to violence. Trout is a big, beefy blacksmith, could get quite vocal and violent and 
be very intimidating. Absolutely. His imposing nature caused the doctor to end the examination early and leave the house as quickly as he could. Dr. Knapp listed Zona's cause of death initially as everlasting faint. This is something they commonly used back in those times, which was a term to describe a heart failure. However, he later changed the cause of death to childbirth unexpectedly. Whether she was pregnant or not is unknown to this time. <laughs> Zona had never told anyone that she was pregnant to include her mother, nor was she showing any signs of pregnancy at the time. But, like I said, the doctor had been treating the young woman for female trouble for about two weeks before her death. <laughs> so, was there a secret pregnancy that her husband was not even aware of? Uh, wow. Well, I mean, as you're telling me the story, I'm thinking female trouble. Yeah. I mean, she could have been miscarrying. For two weeks, she could be bleeding. And if she bled so much that she ended up dying from anemia. Or at least enough uh, blood loss or problems that right. caused her to faint at the top of a stairway and fall down the steps. Exactly. So at this point, Dr. Knapp does not see anything abnormal. He sees the behavior of trout being unnormal, but doesn't see anything wrong with the condition of the body at this point. Okay. Zona's parents are soon notified of her death. In fact, Trout doesn't notify them himself. He sends two of his friends up to uh, notify the parents. Mary Jane, who already does not like Trout, cries out that the devil has killed her upon hearing the news. She's convinced right off the bat, the minute she hears of her daughter's death, that Trout did it. Trout had placed his wife's body in a coffin and the remains were driven back in a carriage back to her mother's home, which was a few miles away. Okay. During the funeral and burial, Trout showed a great devotion towards the body. He kept a vigil at the head of the open coffin during the entire move as he refused to leave this position beside his bride. So he was never more than an arm's reach from his dead wife. From the head. From the Not head of his dead wife, in fact, to be more specific. Mm -hmm. His behavior began to grow stranger throughout the viewing and the funeral, which started to arouse suspicions amongst the guests. Please remember that this funeral took place in Zona's hometown. Right. So these were all of her family, all of her friends, everyone who watched her grow up. They didn't know anything about Trout, so they were very supportive to the family and didn't want to raise a fuss or raise a disturbance. Right. Trout's mood would swing without warning, wildly from overwhelming sadness and tears to incredible humor and joking with his comrades during the wake. These that's kind of not, I I don't know. Well, <clears throat> how me, would that's you believable. So you would find it believable that a man would, you know, be sad one moment and extremely laughing and happy the next? in these circumstances, under stress. Possibility. Agreed. Everyone deals with death exactly. and with this kind of situation differently. Some are very vocal, some even are very angry. Correct. So how they deal with death can range on a wide scale. Trout was especially protective of the body and did not permit any of the mourners to come close to the coffin. Sometimes he would wail and cry so fiercely that he frightened those that approached. These people didn't know him, and so they didn't know how he would react to them coming up to the body. 
He had placed a pillow on one side of Zona's head and a rolled up sheet on the other, explaining that these touches would help his deceased wife rest easier. Trout also tied a large scarf at Zona's <laughs> neck. Oh yeah, which here we did, go. Yeah, this scarf didn't match the outfit. In fact, Mary Jane considered it very garish or untasteful that this scarf was placed there. But Trout explained tearfully that it had been Zona's favorite, so it was not removed. None of the mourners challenged Edward, and they chalked the strange behavior as that of a grieving and distraught widower. And so this man actually knew her for less than five months. Yes, knew her, met, met in October, and then got married, and then now it's in January. So, yeah, just about five months. Wow. Some people reported afterwards that there seemed to be a strange looseness to Zona's head when it came time to move the corpse to the cemetery. Zona was buried on January 24th in 1897 in a local cemetery now known as Sewell Chapel Methodist Cemetery. This could have been the end of the story. Mary Jane was convinced that her son-in-law had murdered his wife and attempted to accuse the blacksmith. However, many of her family and friends held her back saying that Zona would not have wanted her to make a scene. After the wake, Mary had removed the sheet from inside the coffin and tried to return it to Edward. At that time, she did not think it reasonable to bury her with a perfectly good sheet and wanted to give it back to Trout, who probably needed it more than Zona did. Right. However, Edward got really concerned about this sheet and he refused to take it. Okay. Mary Jane went about to wash the sheet when she noticed that there was an odd odor about it. When she dropped it into the water, it turned the water a crimson red. Huh. Now, so you have to remember the sheet was perfectly white, no signs of it being any problems. Right. But when it got dropped into the water, the water turned crimson red. That's weird. When she removed the sheet from the basin, it was stained pink and the water cleared. Mrs. Hester interpreted the stain, which could not be cleaned, as a sign that her daughter had been murdered. Okay. So... Okay, this is where the weird part starts. This is okay. where the weird part is. Because I'm, I'm not having any answers for this. Okay. So a perfectly clean sheet now has a blood stain on it. Interesting. And there was no blood on the corpse. Right. So where did the blood come from? I don't have an answer. No. I have no idea where this blood came from. Mary Jane did have an answer. And she began to stay in Zona's old bedroom praying for some way to know the truth. Every night for four weeks she prayed. And she kept up her prayers in the belief that Zona would return to her and tell her what had happened. And that is exactly what did occur. Wow. One night, a strange light entered the darkened bedroom, just as Mary Jane laid down after praying for word from her deceased daughter. The light began to condense into an aura taking human form. Soon, Zona stood again in front of her mother, just as Mary Jane remembered her, but she was silent and floating just above the floor by her mother's bed. Mary Jane attempted to reach out and touch the spirit, but it disappeared. Mary Jane was not distraught because she knew her daughter's ghost would return. The ghost re did return and she spoke to her mother this time. Slowly, she told her mother about how Trout was actually a cruel man who abused her. Okay, nailed it. And who had attacked her in a fit of rage. It seems that Trout had come home one evening, looked at the meal that his wife had prepared of apple butter, 
spread of preserves and good bread, but was angered when he believed that she had not cooked any meat for the dinner. It was meat! And when there was no meat on the table, he took it out on Zona. Zona's ghost told her mother that he stormed towards her and grabbed her by placing strong callous hands on either side of her neck while she cried for mercy. She had been so terrified when he snapped her neck with a quick motion. The spirit then vanished, but returned each night to her mother's bed for four more nights. Each night adding to the story. Zona repeated her story to Mary Jane about how Trout broke her neck, horrifying the elderly mother. Specifically, the ghost said Trout had crushed her throat so that she could not even breathe, and then she felt her neck snap at the first joint. As if to make a final point on the last night, Zona twisted her head around 180 degrees to demonstrate to her mother how broken her neck really was. Wow. That's got to be pretty terrifying for a mother to discover this from her daughter, not just as it goes, but just that this yes. had happened in general. <laughs> wow. At first, nobody believed Mary Jane's tale, thinking it was just a mother's grief at the loss of her daughter. If someone came to you and told you that their daughter had come to visit her and was confessing that her husband had murdered her, how likely are you to believe that kind of a story? Um, absolutely not. I would definitely not believe if a mother came to me and told me that story. I mean, even as interested as I am in the phenomenon, I mean, that just can't happen. Her distrust towards Trout in their marriage was well known, and Zona's father was attempting to bury his own grief, so he refused to pursue Mary Jane's vendetta. Zona had broken his heart, first with the unwed childbirth, and then with marrying a man she had only known for a few weeks. Right. So he was trying to basically harden his heart, let her go, and get on with life. Mary Jane was not. Mary Jane was more stubborn and convinced in the righteousness of her cause, so she would not give up. And eventually she convinced her brother-in-law, Jonathan, of its truth. Mary Jane traveled with Jonathan to visit the local prosecutor of the county, John Alfred Preston, a church elder who had only just recently been selected as the county prosecutor. But, however, he grew up in Greenbrier County, so he knew the people. Armed with the story allegedly told to her by a ghost, Mary Jane spent hour after hour in his office pleading and convincing him to reopen the matter of her daughter's death. It isn't known if Preston believed her story of the ghost, but her story and the way in which she told it convinced him that there was enough information to create doubt. Therefore, he dispatched deputies to re-interview several people of interest in the case. As numerous locals had begun gossiping that Zona had not died naturally, but had been murdered, Preston was likely responding to the public sentiment. So in a small community like this, you're having people gossip and you talk about Zona, and as Mary Jane fuels the fire, a lot of these gossip and stories start turning to, well, maybe Zona didn't die naturally. Correct. So now you have the whole town buzzing with this information. Well, I mean, the town was behind her, not Trout. So they're more likely to believe that this sweet girl that they knew and loved was murdered. Right, because she totally was not herself at that time, three months. In fact, Preston got so convinced that he himself went to talk to Dr. Knapp, the man who pronounced Zona death. And once he was able to thoroughly question the doctor, 
he confessed that he had not made a complete examination of the body. Some of the neighbors reported the strange behavior during the wake and of Trout guarding the body of Zona throughout the entire process of the funeral. So all that odd behavior that Trout had done that the town folk let go, thinking he was just a grieving husband, now they started telling the lawyer. Right. These eyewitness accounts and the lack of any formal examination of the body by the coroner was viewed as sufficient justification for an autopsy. So the body was exhumed and an inquest jury was formed. Finally! So in a local one-room nickel schoolhouse, Zona's body was dug up and examined on February 22nd, 1897. That's so, a month after. Correct. So her body, her body had been buried in a coffin in the ground for a month. Right. Luckily, <laughs> almost miraculously, the freezing January weather had kept the body in a near-perfect state of preservation. Trout had vigorously complained about removing of Zona from her grave and once again returned to his role of a grieving and distraught husband. He complained again and again about attempting to preserve the sanctity of his wife's burial. But at that time, he was required by law to be present at the autopsy with the three doctors who performed the procedure and the inquest jury observing. He responded that he knew the autopsy would get him arrested, but he was confident that no one would be able to prove his guilty. Wow. Okay, so he already knew. That's it. So do you really think that the cold weather kept her preserved, or did her spirit keep her preserved? Well, scientifically, I'm saying that the January cold, freezing weather kept her preserved. But for a story and for the spook factor on it, yeah, the yeah. preservation of the body because she wanted her murderer found actually sounds better. Right. I was going to say, forget your medical background. What do you really think? <laughs> okay. I, now, during the autopsy... The Monroe Watchman newspaper reported that Trout just sat there whittling on a stick while his wife's body was being examined. He didn't seem concerned until the point when the doctors started working around the dead girl's neck. Ha! Exactly. <laughs> it was at this point that the blacksmith actually started to show signs of being nervous and agitated. He attempted to again physically prevent the autopsy, but there was deputies there that prohibited him from interfering this time. Good. So this big hulking blacksmith couldn't bully his way into preventing the autopsy now. Huh. The autopsy found that the ghost that had visited Mary for four nights was perfectly correct. Oh, wow. Zona had been strangled to death. That, I mean, to use the word, that's awesome, sounds horrible, but that's awesome. In, in that, that there was, the ghost was so accurate, yes. Yes. According to the report, published on March 9, 1897, the discovery was made that the neck was broken and the windpipe was smashed. On the throat were the marks of fingers, indicating that she had been choked. The neck was dislocated between the first and second vertebra. Wow. Exactly as the ghost had said. Yeah. The ligaments were torn and ruptured. The windpipe had been crushed to a point in front of the neck. None of these are... Examples of falling down the stairways. Right. And because of his behavior and on the strength of the evidence, Trout was arrested immediately and charged with the murder of his wife. Just as he figured. So as he's leaving the hometown where Zona had been buried, all of her family, all of her friends, and all of her townspeople watched as Zona's husband 
was taken away in cuffs and led to jail. Good. Zona's body then was returned to its resting place. During the trial, Trout was held in jail in Lewisburg while waiting for the trial to begin, but he was still confident throughout that entire time that he was not going to be convicted. At first, his confidence seemed well-founded as a conviction seemed impossible because there was no witnesses to the crime, no murder weapon, and no fingerprints. Actually, there's fingerprints if they would have... But during this time period, they, oh, right. that wasn't done. You're yeah. thinking you're thinking CSI today. Yeah. I'm telling the story of yeah. Country Doctor in 1890s. Yes. All the evidence that Preston did have was powerful, but it was completely circumstantial. Right. It was always good. It was going to be the town's word against Trout's word. However, during this time, more information about Trout's past came to life. Oh. And it was creating an even more disturbing picture of the type of man Trout was. It turns out his first marriage ended in divorce, with his wife accusing him of great cruelty. She had reported that he had actually attacked her and was a f- abuser. Trout had spent most of his first marriage in jail for two years for horse theft, and the rest of it beating his wife. Wow. His first wife was so afraid of Trout that it was only while he was in prison that she had the courage to divorce him. Trout's second wife had died under mysterious circumstances less than a year after they were married in an accident while helping him to repair a chimney. Wow, this this man. This man, not nice. Yeah. Trout had been on top of the chimney and his wife was placing the rocks in a basket with a rope attached to it for Trout to hoist up. So she would place the large stones in a basket, Trout would pull the rope and bring the rocks up to the roof so that he could fix the chimney. Now the story was that the basket supposedly turned and dropped the heavy rock directly on the head of his wife as it was being drawn up, killing her instantly. At that time, everyone treated it as an accident. Now, people began to question if it really was an accident. Right. Zona was his third wife. And while in jail, Trout would brag about his wish to wed seven women during his lifetime. That was his whole goal. He bragged to reporters that he was so sure that he would be let free because there was so little evidence against him. And during his time on the stand, during his trial, Trout claimed that the charges were the consequences of having a spiteful mother-in-law and nothing more. Trout portrayed himself as the victim of the older woman's hatred for taking her daughter away from him and letting her grow up and become a woman. So it became an argument between Trout and Mary Jane. The trial began on June 22, 1897. Okay. The witness testimony came across as hearsay and gossip against Trout. And there were only a few witnesses for the defense, but each of them described Trout's personality as hardworking and friendly. So the trial was definitely working against uh, Preston at this time. Right, just as he had thought. I but, mean, just as Trout had thought. Exactly. Trout knew everything was circumstantial, and he thought for sure he was going to get away with it. Right. However, Preston's last chance was Mary Jane Hester, the mother, and she became a star witness for the trial. The transcript of the trial had been lost, so little is known about the evidence that she actually presented, except for the part of Mary's testimony. Preston was concerned about admitting testimony obtained from a ghost. So he never questioned Mary Jane about the ghost, just about her opinions on Trout and the way he behaved during the funeral. He skirted the entire issue of her ghostly visitings. During his questioning, 
He, she described Trout's behavior during the marriage and while at the wake of the Zona. The sheet, still stained pink, was entered as evidence without objection by the defense. Okay. Now it came up to the point for the defense. Trout's lawyers decided to question Mary at length about her daughter's ghostly visits. It was his attempt to discredit the mother and embarrass the prosecution. <laughs> this part of the trial was reported in various publications, so it survived to be documented in newspapers such as the Greenbrier Independent on 1 July. So I'm going to read you the transcript of how the questioning between Dr. Rucker, who is Trout's lawyer, and Mary Jane. Okay. Mary Jane. It was no dream. She came back and she told me he was mad that she didn't have no meat cooked for supper. She came four times in four nights. But the second night, she told me that her neck was squeezed off at the first joint. And it was just as she told me. Lawyer. And was this not a dream founded upon your distressed condition of mind? Mary Jane. No, sir. It was no dream. For I was as wide as awake as I was. She wore the very dress that she was killed in. And when she went to leave me, she turned her head completely around and looked at me like she wanted me to know all about it. Lawyer. Then you insist that she actually appeared in flesh and blood to you upon four different occasions. Mary Jane. Yes, sir. The de defending lawyer's tactic backfired. At no point was he able to get her to change her story or to admit that it was anything other than an actual visit from her dead daughter. Mrs. Hester would not waver in her story despite the insistence that she experienced was only dreams and not actual facts. She remained so confident and adamant about what she saw was real and her story was so convincing, the jury actually sympathized and believed her. Haha, <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Because the defense had actually introduced the issue, the judge could not instruct the jury to disregard the story <laughs> of the ghost. Many people in the community seemed to actually believe it. If the prosecution had brought up evidence presented by a ghost, the judge could have uh, removed it from the entire evidence. Right. However, the defense brought it up, so then for it could not be removed from the jury. Nice. So the jury what, had was able to use the ghost's testimony as evidence. Judge J.W. MacWorther, who resided over the trial, described Mary's unorthodox testimony on the stand in a letter to a friend after the event and how compelling it was even to him. The trial lasted eight days, but the jury only needed an hour and ten minutes to make their verdict. They convicted Erasmus Trout Shue despite the defense's attempt to discredit his adversary and her ghost story. Trout was found guilty of first-degree murder on July 11th and was sentenced to life in prison. Nice. Awesome. Most people in the community wanted the death penalty, but it was not unanimous, so the murderous husband was sentenced to life in prison. The Baltimore American newspaper wrote about the trial as, quote, The physical evidence was that Shue's mother-in-law, who testified that her daughter's spirit had come to her at a seance and said Shue had killed her by breaking her neck. All the other evidence was purely circumstantial. So even back then the... The newspapers lied? What do you mean by lied? It wasn't a seance. <laughs> well, okay. Here, here's some information for you. In the late 1800s, a lot of spiritualism was going on. Okay. There was... This was the time of table knocking, of 
Ouija boards being created of people going around saying that they could communicate with the dead. Okay. So anything that was termed as communication with the dead was a seance. Ah, okay. So it's not the same kind of seance we know of today. Correct. Nowadays, when we use the word seance, we think something very formal sitting around the table. Right. Back in those days, because spiritualism was an actual fad that was going across the country, any communication with the dead through a Ouija board, through crystal balls, all of that was considered a seance. Okay. That makes more sense. For all of the world, Mary Jane had a seance or actual communication with her daughter, and everyone believed it. Okay. In fact, the jury believed it, which is was the reason that they convicted the uh, trout of murder. Now, the town folk who wanted vengeance on Trout for the death of Zona formed a lynch mob two days later to take Trout from the jail and hang him. (laughs) But the authorities heard about the mob and the deputy sheriff was able to protect Trout by sneaking him out of the jail and hiding him in the woods. Trout was said to be so terrified of what the mob might do that he was unable to tie his own shoes. So at this point, the... Big, bold, confident Trout is now fearing for his life. As she should be. The angry townsfolk were persuaded to lay down their arms by the sheriff and go home before any damage was done. Four of the organizers were charged with attempted lynching for their actions. Trout was moved to West Virginia State Penitentiary in Moundsville where he's lived for three more years. He died three years later because on March 13, 1900, He was a victim of an unknown mystery epidemic that swept through the prison population. (laughs) You could almost imagine that the epidemic was the ghost of Zona coming for revenge against her former husband. In fact, just before his death, Trout had drawn a picture of himself and Zona with two coffins behind them. One for her and one for him. (laughs) Nice. Basically, he knew he was going to die and he knew he was going to die soon. So there is a possibility, or there's a belief, that Zona came and haunted him while he was in prison. Trout was buried in an unmarked grave in the Potter's Field local cemetery. In fact, his final resting place has been lost to history. Ah. You couldn't find his grave if you tried. There's, def- there's no documentation of where he was buried. Wow. So his body has been lost. Mary Jane, Zona's mother, never changed her story of her daughter's ghost visiting her, and she eventually died in September of 1916. As for Zona, her ghost was never seen in the area again. Some parapsychologists have theorized that the spirits of those that have died with either unfinished business or whose lives were taken away from them are often bound to an unearthly existence until they are blessed with vindication. Correct. Basically, Zona's ghost stayed on Earth until her murderer was convicted and brought to justice. If it's true, then it seems likely that the spirit of Zona Shu had been able to move on. Modern times, the state of West Virginia has erected a state historical marker near the cemetery in which Zona Shu is buried on Highway 60 in front of Sam Black Church. So there is a plaque on the highway that you can stop and actually read follows. Interred in nearby cemetery is Zona Hester Shue. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband Edward. Autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, 
found guilty of murder, was sentenced to the state's prison. The only known case in which testimony from a ghost helped to convict a murderer. That is absolutely awesome. Now, there are some theories about Greenbrier Ghost. The Greenbrier Ghost. That Mary Jane had probably made up the story of the ghost in order to make a compelling argument to open up her daughter's case. Now, as a mother, if someone had murdered your daughter and everyone wanted to treat it as natural, but you believed that he was the murderer, would you lie about a ghost visiting you to get the case reopened? I would. I would lie about a ghost, but how did the mother know exactly how her daughter died? Nobody, I mean, uh, Trout didn't let anyone near that body, not near the neck. So there's no way the mother would have known exactly how the autopsy would have gone if it wasn't a ghost. Now, Mary Jane knew that Trout was clever, unprincipled, and persuasive. And if he murdered once, he would murder again. So Mary Jane feared that if no one validated her accusations, she would be very dangerous in the future. According to this theory, she pretended to receive the news directly from Zona so that she could appeal to the superstitions of the mountaineer neighbors and get the public attention. But, like you said, there's a lot of evidence that the ghost provided that yeah. Mary Jane just would not have had. Exactly. Nobody had it because even the coroner couldn't make the full... Right, Dr. Knapp couldn't even get a close enough examination initially to see that the neck was broken. There's been a book called The Unquiet Grave by Sharon McCrum, which was published in September 12th of 2017, which I got the audio version of, and I think it's amazing. It's really good. She fills in a lot of the dramatic information with the facts of the Greenbrier Ghost. So, I need to read this. Uh, actually, I'll share this story with you. Okay. Now, however, I could not find that there was any movies that were ever based on this story, which I think is a shame because I think this would make an incredible horror story, especially since the audience would be cheering for the ghost. Of course. So, Hollywood, you need to do a story on the Greenbrier Ghost. There you go. So, me, opinions are always going to be divided as to whether Mary Jane was visited by the spirit of her murdered daughter or not, but many knowing Hester's reputation as a God-fearing and honest woman were willing to take her at her word. Okay. And so which, which would be your conclusion of the story? There's no way that she would have known about how her daughter died. She could not have seen it because she wasn't allowed at the house. You're going to continue to support that she saw an actual ghost and the ghost Absolutely. gave her all the information. There's just no possible way that anything other than a ghost could have told her this. I mean, I am convinced. Well, good. Actually, I think both versions of this story are fantastic. You either have a really good ghost story in which a ghost got revenge and got justice for her murder... Or you have a brilliant mother who got justice for her daughter, creating up a con that convicted her daughter's murderer. Either way, Zona got justice for what had happened to her. And I think That's both stories true. are fantastic. That's absolutely true. Well, with Zona's murderer convicted and her murder solved, I believe that this is a good time to put this episode to rest in peace as well. Special thanks to bensound.com for their introduction music, and we hope you enjoyed our first ghost story and will return for more. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast provider to be notified of our next episode in a week. If you know anyone who enjoys ghost stories or tales about monsters in the woods, please let them know about us. It's truly the best way you can show appreciation for what we do. Until then, we hope you make your way out of the mist safely and perhaps a bit more curious.